This is the Land and Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We are recording live today, just like every other podcast, but Adam's on the road. You're you're uh, coming back from probably one of the last consults uh, that we're going to have for a couple months here, Adam, um, kind of hitting that, yep. that slow season <laughs> where nobody wants us out on their place tromping around, and we, we like don't want to be, be there. We like to be close to home, <laughs> yeah. so it works out really well. <laughs> Yep, head back from Arkansas. Big, big cattle farm with a wildlife uh, want down here in in northern Arkansas. Not far from the, not far from the Buffalo. Not far from the White River. Not far from Crooked Creek. Not far from a lot of the water that's through there. It's it's kind of an interesting part of the world, right there around Yellville and Flippin, mm-hmm. where it's just like there's a lot of creeks. There's a lot of little tributaries all feeding in in right there. And, you know, flipping home a um, <clears throat> ranger boats. So, yeah, no surprise there. But pretty cool area, really beautiful farm. Um, one of those cool ones that since we have a, you know, since we work a lot and have experience with cattle farms that allows us to get to, get, uh, you, you call this a ranch, um, these big farms that, that have, have that opportunity to manage cattle and help help improve it for wildlife and so uh you know having that having that background and that that want and and um understanding of and incorporating cattle with wildlife allowed us to get to work with this landowner and pretty cool pretty cool project we're going to have in the works down here yeah totally totally I, i love i love that type of integration where you can take two worlds that seem so separate or seem so far apart um and, and really just make, make them blend back together and where best yeah. can, you know, the two can be served together. Um, that that yeah. is definitely a paradigm shift that most hunters um, aren't ready for, aren't open to yet. They're, they're still on the side of trying to remove a bunch of cows and, instead I of incorporating. A, I have an interesting one for you. Okay. Um, this, one, this one had a new, a new one for me. Um, a neighboring property... Had an interesting fence around it, okay. And within that fence was another fence, okay. And they were raising an animal that I have never seen, and I didn't get to see him this time, but I was told what they were, okay. Um, okay. A unique animal. You have you get three guesses. Do you have any guesses which which what what was the animal? Zebra. Mm. No. Um, ostrich? Nope. And the last guess, I'll give you even more. It's an animal in North America. Okay. The American And you got to understand, it's, it's not one that I've seen before. So oh. you can rule out a lot of the common ones. Not one you've seen before. Um. In, in, in captivity, like being raised on some random property. Okay. Bison? No, a wolf. <laughs> You're lying. That's what they said. And I mean, he said they got out, and he goes, "I've seen them on the place." He goes, "Usually they had to kill them south of here, but yeah, they're usually, uh, you know, usually they're in there. But if trees fall down, they can get out." He said a couple years ago, apparently they got out and had a had had a person cornered in a in a barn. What in the world? <laughs> How big is the neighboring place? Not very, like a forty, and and it's all high fenced. Yeah, I mean we're talking like high fence chicken uh, cattle panel. I mean, I it was quite the deal, man, quite the deal. And then inside of that was a big uh, wooden privacy fence. Golly, wow! <clears throat> yeah. yeah, that is an absolute first. Could you imagine yeah. being out there and be like, "Ooh, the coyotes are howling this evening." Then you get the realization, oh, that's wolves. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I 
I haven't, but we've seen them. That's wild. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's a whole new dynamic. That's what. That's the yeah. right there is a, the a good example. Arkansas Red Wolves. Arkansas State Red Wolves. There you go. That that's a good example of just the the random things you see when you go to. You're given coordinates, and you you say, "Okay, I'll be there," and all you have is an aerial map, and you just arrive somewhere in the middle of nowhere, yeah. middle of Alabama, yeah. middle of Arkansas, yeah. middle of Texas, and you're like, "Boy, I've seen some things on my on my way I've to driven the middle of past nowhere." Many banjos. Oh yes, yes. Well, <laughs> well, when your town is called Yellville, you know there's going to be some banjos involved on the way there. Oh man. <laughs> I've driven past many when many landowners have said when you hear the banjos, you just keep driving. Yep, yep. Cool. Well, that's good, man. It's yep. good to kind of um, kind of wrap wrap up a a really productive um, consulting season, and that that's a kind of a good reminder to everybody. Kind of been giving you guys these uh, updates and and recommendations, but but the twenty twenty four schedule is definitely being built out currently. So if you guys are interested for what 2024 looks like um, in consulting, please send us an email. Um, you can find all the information at landlegacy.tv and go to the consulting tab and fill out that questionnaire. <coughs> we'll be with you. Um, but but that schedule is being built currently um, with, with everyone's interest. And so if you want to get on that list um, or inquire more about the services, definitely let us know. Um, but, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because now this – kind of switches gears uh, mentally for us, time to catch up and and um, kind of... Work on other projects. Yeah, work work on the other projects that we that we always have kind of behind the scenes, and that's definitely fun. Um, fortunately for, for you, you tagged out super early this year, but most times it means a little bit more time to um, possibly crawl in a tree, and that then ties us into really today's today's topic um and and we were pondering adam pre-podcast recording here of man it's october and what do we want to talk about in october and i can't tell you how many times in conversations on the podcast that have been recorded (laughs) that we have discussed the importance of scrapes and yeah. and how they are incorporated into success, how they're incorporated into strategy, how they're incorporated into information gathering. But I don't. Yeah. I st- I still think that there is a um, there's a missing link. There's a missing element for people. They haven't <laughs> quite grasped yet the importance of them because it's not it's it's uncommon. Let's say to get pictures from clients or from listeners and it's a trail camera picture probably asking hey how old do you think this deer is and it's set up attempting to be over a mock scrape or it's not over a a scrape at all and it's like that picture was taken yesterday and it's not over a scrape why is that yeah what's the camera doing right there and and you say he's infrequent in the camera (laughs) And this is a, the this is a whole other aspect of to, to the conversation was like you know he's infrequent here at this location. It's like, is he infrequent or is it or is it the fact that you're not using the tools appropriately for the timing of yeah. the year and what deer are doing? And, and that's yeah. that's why we want to come back to this conversation today and talk about scrapes because that's what's occurring. That's what's important. Yeah. You can have yeah. we can talk bedding. We could talk we food. But my goodness, we've got to talk scrapes. Yeah, I have to. We should have talked this two weeks ago, but now that it's October, we we guaranteed we're going to talk about it. Well, and you know, Adam. You should have every camera that you have at least should have a mock scrape in front of it. Yeah. Every stand that you have on the edge of a food plot should have a mock scrape within range. Yep. Every, every logging road that you're on should have a mock scrape on it now give us 30 minutes to explain why for the remainder of this podcast that's how crucial they are in our not only are they crucial in our hunting strategy they're crucial in our camera inventory strategy for the fall and um they're just crucial in the whole tying everything together in one big pretty bow yeah to to me it just goes into the nature of what 
the target deer that you're trying to gather as much information with it, it's just going yeah. into the biology of the animal and saying okay what are they doing and and, and what is concentrating yeah. deer right now and and yeah. i think whether you're a novice or w- no matter where you're starting at I, I personally think adam everyone wants to go to well deer need to eat every single day so so i'm going to put my cameras over food and it's like yeah <sighs> come on there's 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 half a dozen red oaks just on the just on the edge of this food plot right now plus not to mention if you suspect that he's bedded 500 yards away or even 200 yards away how many is he encountering between here and there like th- th- plus all the browse that should be occurring on a place so so food isn't always the limited resource that's not narrow enough of a search or or a defining feature on a place a resource to say I'm going to really inventory well here because it, this is like the, the, the food source. Not to mention yeah. those food sources are going to change dramatically throughout a season as well. I'm going to give an analogy on why why they're important and how you can and, – and, and why you can capitalize on mock scrapes. If anyone has ever watched an old Western, Matt – I know you've watched Westerns growing up, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure. If you watch an old Western, what John Wayne or somebody else, any other famous Western, uh, Clint Eastwood, let's use Clint Eastwood. He rides into a new town. What does he do? <clears throat> First he rides second. into a new town. And he goes to the tavern. Yes. I was like, and he, he goes he, in the tavern not only to get a drink, but to also socialize. hear and find out what's going on in town. Yep. Who's been in town? Who who's the famous outlaw that was in town? Or who he's looking for if they've been around and then play cards and to socialize. <laughs> and when a buck rolls into a new territory during October, a big part of what they do when they're going into these new areas are checking scrapes to see who elk has been in, in and around that area. No this doubt. is their socializing area. And, 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 and this is a, I mean, how many times do we run cameras on mock scrapes and bing, here's a new buck that just showed up. It's, uh, it's not always. coincidence. He comes in and checks the scrape well, I mean, to see that's... who's been there. For instance, and, and I, I don't want to skip over this because, again, this is like this is the backbone of why it's so important and why it's so effective from an information gathering standpoint. It's like, okay, guys, I get it. It's a social error, but so is the food plot. Yes, but, but one, the food plot's big. And two, the food plot, you're not going to get those, those um, the, the, the four images of that deer at, you know, five yards away that's up close and personal and you get to see detail and identify who that buck is and see if he's got a rip in his ear and unique points to again identify these deer and how frequently they're coming if you just see a body with a decent rack out in the food plot that hasn't told you all that much whether that's a new deer whether that's an older deer all these things so not only do i just want to get like good information of like uh Okay, buck or doe from from a food plot camera scenario. I want to tell specifically who that deer is and why not. Like absolutely, why not put it over a scrape where they are trying to communicate, like you said. And, and this is like the the lifeblood, the purpose of of deer as we're heading into and closer to the rut is like they are meant to breed. Almost like everything that they do is is body wise condition-wise, nutrition-wise, is to be the fittest, most um, biggest, baddest deer out there so that they can then reproduce. So, like, the scraping and the communication that's going on around a scrape at this time of the year is critical for them to be able to participate in all of the breeding cycles and, and understanding in their neck of the woods, their area, for lack of a better term, let's call it territory, and, and the area that their their core area is, they want to know what's happening. 
And so they have to hit these things. Like it's just it's just the way that they communicate. And so now it's the way that as as deer hunters we have to be communicating. So it's like did that shake the tree enough to get people excited about it and say, Okay, I guess I'll move some some cameras to a scrapes uh, a scrape, but like even then, Adam, like there's there's so many other things to do to make it better. Yeah. To me, when a guy sends me a trail camera picture at this time of year and I don't see a licking branch right there, it's like we live in the same town and I called you the day before and told you, hey, the convenience store at the end of Maine is selling gas for a dollar, a dollar a gallon cheaper than everywhere else. And the next day I drive by and I see you pumping gas at the old place that you usually go where it's a dollar higher than the other place man you're missing out like i told you i told you something that was really helpful saved you some money and and you didn't take advantage of it and that's how i feel with these mock scrapes especially like food plots and logging roads it's just like it's too easy not to do it and now we want to break down where to put them how to put them out but um, and how to improve them, and I think that's where you're leading in and going. Yes. How do you how do you improve these compared to, you know, you mentioned something like if a deer is bedded a half a mile, three quarters of a mile away, by the time he gets there, he's already eaten on all kinds of other stuff because it's it may not be in short supply. There may be acorns all the way from where he bedded down to you. Um, <clears throat> so same can be said about scrapes. Well, Adam, there's scrapes everywhere. What makes the ones that you do different than all the others? A lot of things. A lot. And one of the biggest ones um, that can help, and, and I'll speak specifically on food plot scrapes, is, you know, if, if your food plot's older and you've got a lot of mid-story and shrubs and different things growing up, um, growing up along the edge, you can say, well, my food plots have it. There's a dozen scrape limbs on it. You know, the whole side's got scrapes through it. Well, doesn't have to be though. Cut down, all, cut down all of them, but one. Mm-hmm. That's easy. It's just too easy. Cut down. Identify one or two or three that are on your end of the food plot that are within bow range that makes sense from where the deer come out at. That makes sense from a standpoint of being, you know, on the higher spot of the plot or, you know, not on the rocky ground where it's just, it's, it's flat rock, not, you know, there's all kinds of different variables, but just good flat ground and cut down all the others and make the mock scrapes right there. And you'll see an increase. I prefer one, but if, you know, if you're on a tree stand or a a blind and you want to put one on both sides of the plot, that are both within bow rings, that's fine too, but don't get carried away and be like, well, if one's good, two's better, and if two is great, then three might be better. No, try to stick it to one or two at the max and uh, monitor them with a tra- monitor one of them with a trail camera. This is the other important thing I think of, especially like when you're, when you're talking about food plot types, food plot mock scrapes, is, is I really want to be... <clears throat> I really want to have knowledge of where I believe most deer will be coming from. Like when they're entering a plot, I think it's very yeah. important to say like line of sight and accessibility. Um, it has to be it has to be practically placed. And so like having knowledge or distinct bedding, which all the other podcasts we've recorded, you should already have that in place. Distinct bedding locations and structure in the timber. You should know where they're entering and exiting. Edge feathering also really helps to condense this down. You should you should know where they're going to enter and probably exit. And once you've got that kind of narrowed down, I want that mock scrape, that kind of obnoxious, obnoxiously large <coughs> limb hanging out, protruding out and into that field, and it be the dominant, like, well, if I'm a it, new deer, I show up to the plot. It's like, well, no, I mean, here, come on. It's the neon. The best it's a neon bar. Stick out like a sore thumb. It's, it's, yeah, it's a neon light at the bar just sitting there flashing at you like, well, I guess that's the bar. Um, I guess yeah. that's the scrape. Like, make it big and obnoxious. And sometimes that does mean 
trimming existing branches. But also, Adam, if you've got a new plot and, and you guys have dozed in some, some plots before, all those like low-hanging branches, because like they, they, they could be non-existent because you took what was a forest and, and now you made it kind of an edge of a field. So you may not have those large over... Um, like like outreaching side limbs on the um uh, on the edge of the 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 field to utilize as a scrape. What what do you what do you do then at that point if you don't have the naturally occurring limbs or they're not at the right height? Like what happens yeah. at that point? There's a couple different options. Um, one that I've done in the past, depending on what kind of tree species is taking a limb saw and notching a little bit on a, on a limb to give it, to give the limb that's growing up high some give to where it hangs down. Um, kind of, kind of go from one, like a, a, a parallel to the ground limb, notch the top of it, bend it a little bit and kind of make it 45 ish angle back down. Towards yeah. Ground. Yeah. Or even a, a limb that's growing from a 45 up in the sky. Mm-hmm. That's not at the same time. It's like, you may only be getting one year out of this, but at least you're getting one year of with a limb rather than no limb for that year in that food plot. So it's kind of one of those that you do whatever you can to get a licking branch on that wherever you need it to be um, for that year. Um, and and that's, a, that's, that's a really easy one. Um, another option is, is using a flagpole holder. Um, there's a company that actually makes, I forget the name of them, um, but they make a, uh, it looks like a flag pole holder, but it's made specifically for, uh, holding licking branches. Mm-hmm. And then you just cut a branch from somewhere else. I personally prefer oak branches because yes. they hold the leaves a little better. Um, I'm, I'm going to automatically <laughs> find a, an oak um, if I can't find an oak, hickory is kind of second best, but then also a cedar limb hangs and always retains its, um, its needles as well. Needles, yeah. So yeah, those are my I, top I personally three. don't prefer like sassafras or no. uh, a dogwood's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like sassafras or elm, elm or hackberry. maple aren't very good. Um, and, and, or a walnut, Yep. any of those like oak is kind of is is the best and so i stick that in there and i do whatever i can to uh, maybe i jam some other limbs in there so it can't roll that's a problem um you put it in there and they start working it and it's rolling it just is unnatural so you need to make sure that limb doesn't roll uh flagpole holder um and then i know matt pre-show you talked about using wire or string yep. to tie branches down guys will ask me what's the preferred height and i say about chin high um, 5'10", 5'11", somewhere in there. So it's just about chin height. So, um, you know, you're looking anywhere from four and a half to five foot, five foot uh, off the ground. Um, any higher is too high. Any lower is obnoxious. So Correct. kind of in that chin high. And I, you know, I don't care about limbs above it, but I certainly care about limbs below it. Yeah, so if there's sure. any limbs that are below, you know, I see this a lot where there's, a prime tree for a scrape, but there's too many lower branches. Um, you got to remember these are these are kind of like a an elk does a wallow, a, a deer does a scrape. Um, you know, a, a deer they get in those scrapes and they work them. They don't just walk up and stick their nose in them and their front paws and they're like, "Ooh, that's nice," and then go on about their way. They get in them. And they'll rub urinate in them. They'll turn around. They'll kick up dirt. They'll do all kinds of stuff. Yep. And so getting all the lower branches out of the way is crucial in, in increasing the success of those mock scrapes. So I like to have a branch four and a half, five foot tall and no lower branches anywhere near that. So they have plenty of room to use that licking branch. I and that, go, go ahead. <clears throat> and, and that includes vegetation growing up. Um, keep the vegetation i see man time and time again it'll be like yeah they used to scrape here well now it's all it's it's all broom sedge or it's all it's all uh fescue it's like they don't they can't even get to bare dirt like it's just it's just nothing like you got to get bare ground 
when uh, I went up to Iowa, Adam, um, in late August there to kind of get some cameras set and whatnot for, for late season, um, one of the tools that I took with me was just a weed trimmer, a weed whacker, um, because yeah. like most of these field edges, you go crops straight into like a smooth brome edge, and that smooth brome, yeah. like you're not down to bare dirt. So a lot of times you got to kick, 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 kick just to get to dirt. I don't want like I don't want a deer to walk by and wonder if it's a scrape. I want it to be clearly defined. So I took the weed whacker trimmed out the entire thing like we did it like i would at the edge of a uh, you know a garden um or around a tree took it down to nubs and then turned that weed eater and then just edged it and it turned it into powder essentially right around beneath that that licking branch itself but i know now from even though i did that in late august all the way through season that's going to be bare dirt like that's going to catch the eye and when deer start pawing it and working it there's going to be that fresh dirt smell every single time. So until they start actually depositing their scent and using their glands on the licking branches, at least like it has the visual representation of that's been worked. I should go check that out. So like yeah. clearing the vegetation out underneath is so important. And you mentioned like, no the, doubt. the hanging. I, I of, like. I was, I was just going to share a quick story because it could be the potential picture for this, uh, the podcast, but like the, I've got a, it was a, it was it was a brand new camera location this year, and it was a kind of a brushyish field edge, but it was a walnut limb, and and I could have notched that limb, but like we said earlier, man, that's not gonna hold up. Like walnuts have pretty much already lost their leaves already. Then you what you've got like three little branches or twigs sticking out. That's not big enough. That's not that visual appeal when a deer walks along that edge that is going to make them stop and investigate. So like what I did was instead of like notching that limb, I took the wire, I'd cut a nearby cedar limb that had tons of, tons of still green needles and stuff on it. Um, and I just wired and let it hang straight down and cleared it out. That's been one of the hottest scrapes. And it's like, you took, you could take something that, that there would never be a scrape on a limb. That's right. Seven foot tall or seven foot above and, and hang something from it, and it'd be just a limb with wire stiff enough to, to react and um, resemble a scrape, and boom, just like that, they're on it, and they're hitting it and checking it really consistently. But yeah, just, just like whatever you do, make the scrape appear to be dominant, um, heavily worked, the, the, the biggest communication post that there is a round, and deer are going to start reacting to it like it is. Yeah. You want to make them feel like a loser if they don't hit it. Or it's yeah. just like, it's so monstrous and so attracting that they're a fool not to check it. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I, to me, it's, I, I, this is the general recommendation I give to people is take that licking branch, whatever you've identified as a licking branch and knock out all the vegetations in a six foot circle underneath it. Yes, six and foot. Then you heard that, that right. Not, not. Yeah. Don't, don't do a little two foot like situation. When you walk past it, you want to be surprised and be like, "Is this one of those like hub scrapes?" Yes, that's what it looks like. Make it monstrous. And and so you know, six foot, and then within that six foot, take the three foot center and bare ground. Yep. I better see bare ground. I love the, you know, some guys cringe. You said a weed whacker. If it's now, you listen to this podcast and you're going to go do it, you're like, I don't really want to carry a gas-operated weed eater back <laughs> yeah. in there. And so there's a little thing that I like from uh, it, most hardware stores or Lowe's or Home Depot, somewhere like that, um, sell them. And they're called a weed whacker, but they're basically a hickory handle thing with a U-shaped piece of metal and then a, a serrated bar that goes across the bottom. Um, and And that is just a... This, that's a, a manual weed eater is what that is. And uh, I, I like that because I can knock down all the vegetation with it, make it good and sharp, knock down all the vegetation, and then flip it over and use the ends of it and dig into the ground to get that bare ground that I'm looking mm-hmm. for. I, and, I, want there, I want it to appear like a deer has already really worked it. Like there's, there's I like want it to appear that a buck thrown. was really, really mad uh-huh. when he was over there. He pawed the ground and 
he did everything he could to clear it out. That's what I want him to see. It's like, wow, that that right there is a scrape. Some, something or someone but go check it. Yeah, something or something big work that thing. That's that's the appearance it should it should certainly have. Um, at at the end of the day, like there was there was a scrape, Adam. That I uh, I could see that deer. It, it was on the edge of a logging road, and I could see that deer had worked it last year because there were some broken. Um, there were some broken limbs on it and it was yeah. relative, like there's very few leaves, a slight depression, but they hadn't opened it up, um, yet this year. And I was like, I yeah. want a camera there. Cause I think that's a, a generally a pretty decent trail that they're, that they're taking. Huh. Interesting. They haven't opened it up yet. And, and, and it's a Buckeye. It's like of all the species, yeah. like a Buckeye, again, kind of like the walnut, it's already lost all of its leaves. I went over and I grabbed, um, an oak branch, uh, a, a pretty predominant one, and I like I placed it and set it in, and then wired it onto the structure of the buckeye, like the more rigid structure of the buckeye, because I, it wasn't opened back up again yet this year for whatever reason. But I was like I want it to be lasting, and again I like it was like I um, grafted a an oak limb and placed it onto this to this tree to create the a more dominant appearance of a scrape and then cleaned it wide, like really wide. I'm not sure if they walk the logging road, they can't miss it. And now it sticks way out there. It's like, don't just like, I feel like someone would have said, Oh, Hey, there's the limbs from last year. That was good yeah. enough. No, like, like let, let's beefen it up a little bit. Cause that <laughs> a, a Buckeye is not very rigid. Like it's not going to withstand a lot of <coughs> scraping activity. And that's what you want. That's what you're encouraging to these locations when you do what we just talked about. Yeah, no doubt. I think, uh, and then, you know, with the bare ground, you obviously you pee in it yourself. Yeah. Like that's a given. Like uh, that's, people will ask too, how's our sick control, especially like when you're making scrapes, like, oh, you're wearing gloves and rubber boots, rubber, rubber boots and rubber gloves. Nope. Not doing any of that. Like, no. I, I wear my work boots. I have made, I don't know, a ton of scrapes while I'm on consults with guys in the normal boots that I wear through the airport and gas station, everywhere else. And they still get pictures of deer using them. And I, I've done it on my farm now. I used to be really into the scent control game where it's like, I got to get my boots on. I'm going to check scrapes and cameras. Now I just, whatever. And I don't notice any difference between what I used to do and now. It's just like they seem used to me, I guess, because – I just kick it up with leather boots to get the bare ground if I don't have the weed whacker with me. And then I pee in it. The idea is I've opened it up. I peed in it. First little forking horn that comes out, he sees it. He pees in it. The next basket rack comes out. He pees in it. Before I know it, there's a train of deer that peed in it because a, a buck or a deer before them peed in it. Yeah. And now it's a, a very active scrape um, that's, that's going to be used for months to come. And, you know, some of these mock scrapes we've opened up, they've gotten so popular and so used that we just keep cameras on them throughout the year to where, you know, we're, there's deer even checking them in June or mm-hmm. May and April when they're just growing antlers. They're still checking those scrapes because they're keeping communication posts. Uh, and that's, and uh, uh, I, I think that mm-hmm. like people may not understand, like there's, there's preorbital glands and there's another gland like on, on the deer's forehead, like in between a buck's rack. Then they have obviously the metatarsal, which is their, their, their hooves. And then they have their tarsal glands. But like during uh, like the June time frame, they're still communicating, leaving scent through that preorbital gland around their eyes. So they're not having to like, you know, rub urinate on their haunches to deposit scent. Cause that's not what's active at that time frame. But like right now, when they're going and checking a scrape, they're not only putting their eyes on, they're putting their the gland between the rack, and then they're they're peeing on their meta the, their tarsal, excuse me, and then leaving that scent, uh, you know, on the ground and then on the the branch. It is like kind of a full like operational system right there of like scent deposit. And then if you are like, it's hard for us to I think gather the the intensity of the scent that they leave because obviously as humans we don't have near the nose that deer does but like with the amount of scent that they're leaving um like that that's that's a humongous amount of scent from a deer's perspective 
with both their, their tarsal glands and the preorbital glands from top to bottom, six foot tall, and yeah. then on the ground. Like that, yeah. that that's significant from, from a deer's perspective, but we don't have that. Um, we're not in tune with that nearly as much because, heck, we just walk by and all we really do is, is attracted visually to them. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, and that's where uh, it's just, it's so, it's so easy not to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to address too. talk about kind of the preference of, of licking branch versus grapevine versus ropes versus um, these artificial uh, things like the, I think it's called the vine mm-hmm. um, from scrape fix. Like there's all kinds of different things you can do. And, and frankly, I think that so if you're in one camp or another camp or another camp, we could all find times where we could conv- where we could tell everyone we were correct. Like grapevine was more, was more beneficial. It was more attractive and and or licking branch or a rope and i just to me when you look at time like it, it, and you're looking at how quickly you can put out box scrapes because you know if i'm putting them out on every food plot every intersection every every camera location and every in multiple spots on food plots and all these different things i probably have 60 box scrapes if i'm trying to make a rope or a a grapevine at each one of that's that's two weekends that I'm devoting yeah. to mock scrapes. That's crazy to me. No, I, so I don't even you know. There's a couple spots on the farm that are grapevines that have hung down. One of them's incredibly attractive, but there's no other limb around for a licking branch. It is the grapevine, and it's incredibly attractive. But then I have another long list of licking branches that we've used and you know for years those have been the most beneficial one of them in particular is like the cows it's where i shot floppy the cows are there was a cow that laid under that licking branch two nights ago yeah i had the cows are only in there for a week and i had pictures and i just monitored to see just how many stinking cows there or how many deer are there and how many cows, uh, what the cows are doing and how quickly the deer adapt back. And the cows will leave in, in this weekend and then boom, the deer will be right back. And it's a black jack limb that hangs right over on a ridge top. And it's probably one of the most utilized scrapes on the whole farm. And cows are there a lot. Um, throughout the course of a year and it doesn't seem to affect the deer and it's like which, that's which I the think, most, that's, Adam, that's the last place you'd expect deer to be utilizing I, I i think that begs the importance though of the locations in which you place these i, I don't i don't get crazy um crazy oriented whether you know there's there's a hemp rope or there's a grapevine or there's the artificial or you're just utilizing an existing limb like you to me, what's most and readily available is a limb. Like I'm, I'm, I'm either going to cut one and again, kind of, if you will, graft it into an existing limb or wire it and hang it down from another um, limb option that that I can't either break or that wouldn't sust- with that wouldn't sustain me breaking it for an entire season or something like that. Like I just want to go. Yep. What's available? What's the easiest? And go. So like in my trail camera bag, if you will. There's there's always a limb saw, so I can cut. Either maybe it is a grapevine that's that's right there close, or maybe it is a, an oak limb or a cedar limb that I can cut that, and then I could use that to clear out the grass, clear out the underbrush underneath of the 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 limb itself, and then get it down to bare dirt quickly um, with that, and then kicking it out with the boot. So I've got a limb saw, and then I might have um, a little extra spool of wire that's in the trail camera bag. So if I do need to suspend something down from a branch, I can wire it there and basically fasten it to that tree. Um, I don't love rope, um, like even small rope for suspending it because it's just, it's almost like too flimsy and having that little bit of a wire kind of, it almost acts like a natural rigidity of, of like what a limb would react to, um, 
if if you know there's antlers raking it or moving it around and it doesn't um it doesn't fray or get uv and whatnot it's just it's there um so that part's nice but i keep a little pair of pliers that wire and a limb saw a good limb saw and there's nothing that you can't do at that point from creating these mock scrapes it's 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 done yeah it's uh it's just too easy. What, what's what's and your what's your favorite location? Because I think that is like we just we just talked about. Okay, like location, location, location for perpetual use. Um, what what is that for you? Yeah, because there, there's, there's a lot. Depends because but. let's just say a food plot. I, like I don't. When it comes to food plots versus trails, I, I you know I'm indifferent because if I'm in a trail, I have my my favorite mock scrape that is in the woods is in very close proximity to a bedding cut, preferably on a logging trail, some sort of road. And it's just a branch that's hanging right over in the middle of that road in a saddle or any, any kind of terrain bottleneck. To me, that is just, that is dynamite. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of spots like, uh, like the grapevine, the big oak on the old road. Um, I'm thinking of South Saddle. I'm thinking of some of my favorite spots on the whole family. I'm thinking of Kingsville. Um, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Dollhart. I'm yeah. thinking of all these places in the middle of the timber that I'm thinking of a big piney. Um, I'm, so all these ones that are in the middle of big timber are, um, you know, they're on Lincoln branches and, Man, you want to talk about getting daylight images of bucks? That's where you get a lot of them. Um, you know, then you shift over to a wildlife opening like Big Piney, a little bitty tenth of an acre opening that has a mock scrape on the edge of it on both sides. Camera's facing northwest. It's got a scrape on one side right in front of it and a scrape on the other side. Man, lots of daylight activity. Um, you know, when you ask me my favorite spot on a food plot is going to be where I anticipate the deer to come from. So let's just say if you were to say, here's the center of the food plot, here's the center of the bedding cut, draw a straight line. The southeast corner of this food plot is where they're going to come out at. Mock scrape somewhere right there. And my camera's facing north. Uh, that way it's not getting blown out with, with, with morning sun. That's preferred. And I mean, it's a, it's a, a trail camera facing north out into a food plot that has a mock scrape six yards in front of it. So if a deer is standing in the mock scrape, I'm getting pictures of it. And I also see if there's any other deer out of the food plot. Mm-hmm. That is just, it's just, that's it's just, just too easy. It's, it's like the trail camera is sitting there. You know, <laughs> you always see that like uh, gif or something like that. And it's like someone's like, acting like they have a, a bowl of cereal and they're sitting there with a spoon and they're just like shoveling it in. I think mm-hmm. of that when a trail camera is set up like that. It's like that camera sitting there just absolutely working, watching deer, and it's just gathering that intel and bringing it right to you on, on a cell camera. It's just shoveling it in. Um, yep. Like that right there is, is, is perfect. Yeah, I, I think for me, like in the timber, it is definitely revolving around, okay, well, uh, what is the topography doing to be able to to either enhance, control, dictate where deer have to walk. Uh, there, there's some that you mentioned there. Um, there's another one that that's really starting to to blow up, and I want to get to that point too of of the patience with some of these things. But um, there, there's one that's like there's it's on the rise of of a ridge, but but basically as deer are coming around this from a bluff wall, um, there's kind of like this this if you will break between two limestone rock outcroppings about 30 yards wide and they wrap around this ridge right through this section between those two bluffs and there's a a big old limb sticking out out in the center of this trail and this trail intersection actually and this is one location that when I set a stand there because of topography because of different things I knew it was like this isn't going to be hot early probably not going to hunt it until late October rut time frame, but I'm just going to get it set. And this was early August. I went ahead and screwed in one of those flagpoles into a, uh, a tree, stuck an oak limb in there, 
and it's at this point now and and, and i and i've kept it cleared um but like at this point now as deer are starting to kind of move and investigate you're starting to see some bucks starting to uh de definitely branch out a little bit last night was one um there's there was three different bucks that went boom, right through there stop and investigate and that was that was set in august and now it's just starting to kind of pay dividends but like we've talked about i think adam with the podcast um in regards to the harvest of floppy you do these activities and mock scrapes is a hundred percent one of them you do the do these things in advance um and, and not as a response to deer activity and you get these things set and ready and let the activity just, if you will, naturally kind of start picking up um, from that. So, like, I'm not going to say, hey, all your mock scrapes need to be set in August because literally I just did one today. But if you need to move a camera, you better at this time frame of the season, you better be creating one. But you yeah. could also set them early and, and, and let's say be ready and waiting for that increase of of uh, scraping activity to begin to occur but location is super key like super super key to yeah get it dialed in logging roads are obviously very very important um as yeah. well in that and they're those are almost omnipresent across the whitetails range yeah and what do you do i mean if you've listened to this podcast and you're like okay i got it six feet of debris removed three-foot diameter bear ground, cut out all over branches. I've got it chin high. Bam, 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 bam. Got it all. Okay, nothing. Well, then that tells you the location's off. Correct. And Correct. so change it. You know, leave it there or leave the mock scrape there. And, and this is the huge benefit in owning your own farm because you can be like, yeah, yeah you know, it worked okay last year, but, you know, it, it wasn't what I th hoped. And then you get to looking around after deer season, you're like, oh, the scrape that I thought was great right here on this, on this shelf, they used it some, but not what I thought. Now that I, when I got in there, there was another big scrape, the naturally occurring scrape 30 yards away. That was, that was the scrape. Ah. Well, then now what you do is you cut the one you used the year before and you move over to there, the one they wanted to use. I definitely they think used. so. Like those... If they're using this thing in late December, January time frame, that's the one I want to be on. Because there's a there's a lot yeah. of times, Adam. How many times have we observed a buck like in a tree stand, and you know they they maybe you've grunted at that deer, or there's some other bucks around there, and they just walk over to a nearby limb, and they just rake yeah. out underneath of it, and it's almost like they're just posturing. They're not actually creating a scrape there to truly communicate. They're just, just they're posturing up and showing dominance. So like you can walk through the woods and maybe you stumble upon some of those. And and I just feel like there's always there's always the best scrape even though it may be surrounded by um, less dominant scrapes or satellite type scrapes in a given area. I want the dominant scrape and I'll cut the rest of those limbs, but keep that in mind of like don't just be satisfied with the one uh, that you're like, okay, that did that did fairly good. Like, go back in that area, see if you can find anything better. If you feel like you weren't, if you weren't getting all the intel that you think was happening or occurring in that given portion of the farm. Yeah, how many? How many? I, I, I read an article one time that cracked me up. You know, when I was a kid, I I took it as a God's honest truth. And now I look back and I, I, I wish I could hunt down the, the, the author of that article who wrote it because I'd want to ask them, you still go by that? You still believe that? Because yeah. uh, oh. the idea was when you find one of these uh, community scrapes or one of these big mock scrapes in the timber, he's bedded within sight of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a young man, how many times I walked around and I find a scrape? And I'd be like, uh-oh, he can see me right now. And he just kind of like... Freeze. And then <laughs> and then I'd hunt over him. I'd hunt over him in the timber. Like, I'm going to kill him. He can... He's going to... He's going to come and check this scrape. Thinking that, like, they, they check him every 20 minutes or so. Right, right. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, and obviously now, you know, that's not the case. You know, that's not true. It's just a guy who 
you know, they, they probably had good intentions. They probably one time found a scrape like that and jumped a deer out of it. Or he jumped a deer, bedded close by, and said, "He's, you know, I think what they're doing is they bed close and watched him. Well, they watch him, I, make sure no other buck is using him." In in the rut, I ha- I've seen deer like on like bed off close to them because they knew like, okay, this is like I'm resting, but if a doe does walk by, I can go check her. Um, yeah. But but they could bed down and do that anywhere though too like that's not the purpose and intent of scrapes the purpose and intent of scrapes is to go and physically for a buck to endo to physically work them not just bed off of it and sit and wait yeah they're not making a trap like i'm gonna clear this out i'm gonna step back and watch to see who comes in to check exactly exactly if it's a buck i'm gonna go whooping if it's a doe i'm gonna go breeder yes it's just it's not a trap yep um i i remember another article i read um when I was a uh, a young man, was that a buck has his his scrape line? Oh, yeah. and rub and, lines and scrapes, scrape lines. Yeah, and, and and whenever he's got his scrape his scrape line around, what he'll do is when when the leaves start to fall and there's and there's rain, he'll make a pass and he'll go clear out all his scrapes again. Mm-hmm. Man, you know how many times I sat in the rain waiting on it to stop over a scrape thinking that there was going to be a buck come by cleared out? Yep. Yeah, I, oh, I remember. I remember one of the first, like, rub lines I had found. I had found it squirrel hunting behind the house. And I just remembered, yeah, from reading, you know, an Outdoor Life or Field and Stream magazine of, like, rub line. Oh, my gosh, yeah, there's another one right over there. And then there's another one that way. And I started to begin to, like try and create this like linear path with it but then i just kept yeah. like getting crisscross because like there's a lot of rubs in here and i was like well yeah. this, this just must be like the massive intersection of all these rubs and i mean i remember it i never i didn't run trail cameras at that point um th- this was probably 10 years old and um september early early squirrel season we didn't open up bow season or, or gun season till uh you know, October and then, yeah, gun season, November. I remember waiting around till gun season and being like, I know exactly where I'm going. Like, I'd found that spot, so I was like, I I now, like, deer had to be there because I had found it. And sat there and sat there and it's like, nothing ever strolled by. And it's like, what do these rubs actually mean? And now, when I see a rub and or we're working with a client or something like that, and they're like, oh, my gosh, look at the size of this rub, or oh, there's another one down there. He's walking this trail. It's like, yeah, probably not. I just run. Yeah. To, to me, it's just confirmation that a deer was there and it was a buck. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. at some point. It's like even even if it's a giant rub, you know, research has shown that. Clearly. <laughs> it could be a fork in Clearly. Even still making that big rub. Rub, rubbing on telephone poles out west. Rub. Yeah, like, so it's just kind of one of those to me. It's 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 very similar to finding a deer track, but having sure enough confirmation that it was that it was a buck that made that rub. Yeah, we can at least cross does off the list of not the ones who made it. Correct. Correct. And that's you know that's why I don't get too excited. Scrapes are a little different. It still is like oh yeah you know there's a buck that's been here, um, you know. But a doe can use the scrapes. And will, but I look at those as like these are these are opportunities to um, to attract deer to in front of the camera and or within bow range. Um, and you know, there's a guy there's a guy with hunting public um, that does those horizontal rubbing branches stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've never I've never tried it. I just I, I find it hard to believe that it'd be more attractive than a big box scrape. That's but I, I guess I shouldn't like like any good advice that I've always had. Um, put it to the test. Don't knock it till you try it. Correct. Put it to the test. Yeah. Put it and to the test and see what happens. I, I, that I'm I'm similar in that. Is like a deer by nature of the rub, they like they don't have to return to that to continue yeah. getting information. Um, unlike a scrape, and so that's why like when the, when trying to put more stock into fresh sign, do I want to see a freshly rubbed tree? Does that help? Um, add confidence to a setup, sure. But but I know that yeah. if I put a camera on a scrape, deer will be coming back to check that specific deal, not just he was here, he was just loafing and decided to rub, right? Um, yeah. 
Now, if I'm in dense cover and I see a bunch of rubs in a tight little area, I'm going to start looking probably for a bed. But but that's yep. not really that's not really where I'm going to hang a trail camera though either. So like rubs can mean yeah. different things in my opinion um, based on their location. But I like the return activity that comes by the nature of a scrape. So that's why cameras go there and sit there and bake, put them on solar yeah. and, and let them just sit there and just send you information. Used to too, yeah. Adam. I know we're, we're getting caught up on time here, but um, used to never try and put the cameras and or scrapes close to your the trees that you were going to hunt because you'd have to go back in there and pull cards and you'd be leaving too much humid scent and that'd be a lot of intrusion on the locations of where you wanted to hunt um yeah that was another famous hunting magazine advice yeah exactly I remember, ne- never put your trail cameras next to your hunting spots and now I'm, i always do that <laughs> i can't I, yeah i thought that was a given like, like i thought that was just mandatory now now it's like why would you not create these mock scrapes and cameras over the places where like you should be hunting where they're excuse me the scrapes should be where deer are frequently traveling through and then you should stop them and capture that information but they're frequently traveling through and it's an accessible location to hunt you should hunt it but but now with right cell cameras that that human nature and intrusion as long as battery life is great which is why you put a solar on these things you don't have to go in there and and do that so um yeah that that old advice is, is um old and archaic at this point put it all right there if you can access that thing um well it's like there was some truth to that when it was pulling chips correct knowing that you tell a guy you know you you write an article and you're telling people don't put him there knowing that he's going to go and pull the chip once a week Mm -hmm. and not pay attention to the wind well of course that's the easy way to tell him to stay out of there now with cell cameras you can just say hey don't run non-cellular cameras next to your hunting spots if you're planning on pulling the card every week or every two weeks correct you know all the ones that are not cellular that i have i put them in places where i'm like i may not see this till january mm-hmm. um but you know we're gonna see what happens um and we're gonna put one up because hey i have it and it's better than sitting in a closet yeah it does no good then there's no information gathered um yeah but but if you will, everyone listening, hopefully, 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 this is the time frame, this is the podcast that really sets the tone for the importance of gathering the intel. This this is the information. This is how you pattern deer that are younger and not on the target list yet. This is how you pattern them and, and know how to harvest them when they get to that age class you're trying to harvest them. Like, this is the information, not the randomly located trail cameras that are spotty here and there. And I'm not saying this is going to change, let's say, the the frequency of um, the, the, the buck in a certain area because you still might select the wrong scrape or it may not be the perfect location that you set your scrape at. But you should see an increase if you're, if you're in, the, in the right area on the right scrape or create the dominant scrape in a given area the frequency in which that deer is hitting those, therefore giving you more information. Patterns should really start to develop. And I think that's one big thing, Adam, that we've, if you will, in in years past, um, it was almost like, oh, we're in timber country. We can't pattern deer. And it's like, that's, that's wrong. Like, that's not, that's not really true. Are they more difficult to pattern? Sure. I think there's other areas that it's like, dude, clockwork. But you can still get a lot of information by targeting and putting these cameras in the right locations on scrapes throughout the whole fall. Yep, exactly. Any other thoughts, Adam? No, I think by the, hopefully in this hour that you realize that, yep, mock scrapes are a thing that you should have your cameras on and <laughs> yeah. go and do it because they are so magical. It's, it's like... Uh, for for us, you know, during the habitat season, we talk so much about bedding thickets, bedding thickets, bedding thickets, where we're telling people, focus on bedding, build bedding, make bedding, create bedding clothes, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. 
And now with hunting, it's like mock scrapes. Get mock scrapes out. Make sure you have them on your cameras. Make sure it's just a good way that you can understand what bucks are on the property. Oh, it's a good way to get deer within bow range if you're hunting a large food plot. If you're not doing it, you're you're missing a valuable a valuable tool. It's you know it's just like that might be the same crossing the barrier of from hunting to habitat is going bedding thicket emphasis to mock scrape emphasis. So yep, totally. Anyway. Totally. Yeah. All right, guys. So. Well, we appreciate you you following along and um, being a part of this. Make sure you're heading over to the HuntWorks YouTube um, page and subscribing. And there's a lot of good content hitting there every single week, um, multiple pieces of content there. So go check it out. Thanks, guys, so much for listening to this week's podcast. We'll see you here next week.